everybody, welcome back to Crypto Coffee Hour. I'm your host, Jeff, here with my co-host as always, Will. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us over the holidays. Well, happy holidays, listeners. Um, yeah, we thought we'd come by and talk a little bit more with you this week about, you know, just the latest going on and everything. Yeah, we thought we might uh, take a little break over the holidays, but you know, there's just too much going on. Yeah, crypto uh, and never think, sleeps. Uh, <laughs> and I think uh, Jeff and I get a little, you know, antsy and restless when we don't talk about crypto for a long time. So, uh, so there you have it. Um, well, you know, Jeff, one of the things that's on my mind, um, and uh, because it's Christmas time, and you know, there's gifts and all this like heartwarming and you know, very, um, uh, you know, very pleasant surprises sometimes you get, and the crypto community is no different. Uh, I notice all these airdrops. I hear my friends around me talk about airdrops. I hear it on Twitter. Uh, do you mind just kind of maybe telling our listeners a bit about what this concept is? I sort of get it, but like it's different, so different from the traditional investment kind of uh, idea where these kinds of uh, where dividends or coupons or interest payments are well projected in advance. Uh, so my understanding is that this is like supposed to be a surprise. Um, how does this work? Yeah, so um, that's a good question. Like airdrops are definitely one of the coolest things about crypto, right? It's free money. Who doesn't love free money? Um, and basically how it works is a lot of protocols, you know, they want to create a token and launch a token, but they learned from the 2017 ICO model, which ended in a lot of vaporware. So uh, Uniswap kind of pioneered this where a lot of projects started making their products first without raising money. They would just create the code, build the product out, and then start getting users. And Uniswap did this thing called the retroactive airdrop, which was they looked at their database. Um, I mean, not their database. They looked on the blockchain and looked at how many people had been using their protocol before a certain time. And then they decided, you know, this is the date that we're going to take a snapshot, um, basically look at every single... Uh, wallet address that interacted with the protocol and any wallet before this date will give um, will get a free airdrop of tokens you know and an airdrop is exactly what it sounds like it's just free tokens that kind of appear in your wallet sometimes you have to claim it sometimes you don't um, mm -hmm. but they mm -hmm. end up being worth real things and and you know mm -hmm. in the past year there have been some extremely lucrative airdrops dydx was one of the biggest worth over like a hundred thousand dollars at its at its peak, right? So any user that qualified for that airdrop would have gotten a free hundred grand basically just for beta testing the software. Um and the latest like ones that kind of have been making big news is OpenSea. OpenSea finally had an airdrop called um OpenDAO. The token is SOS and basically anybody that had used OpenSea in the past was eligible to claim some of these tokens and depended on how much like you how much buys you made how many sells you made how many mts you um you know moved around on the platform all those things kind of contributed to the final number that you'd have of uh tokens you could claim but for some people it ended up being like pretty valuable right some people ended up getting um free money to the tune of like seven thousand eight thousand dollars uh, right in time for Christmas. So it was a nice little bonus. <laughs> yeah. So, But the rules of the distribution is determined, I guess, by the core team or the developers. Like as the user, we're just kind of, uh, we accept whatever formula they use to distribute the token. Like there's no dispute. I can't, uh, uh, you know, go to customer service and say, hey, you know, I, I think I should get more than, more than Jeff because I've used the protocol more. They, there's a set formula and it, that's clear they have a white paper about this it's transparent oh, is that right. so so like the the rules for getting the airdrop is determined by the protocol and it's not always transparent um it would be awesome if it was but that creates this problem of people um hunting for airdrops right airdrop hunters or airdrop farmers as some people call them basically people that are speculating on projects that don't have a token yet and They'll do a bunch of, they'll like make a bunch of wallets that interact with it a little bit, you know, just to, in case uh, they do an airdrop, just to, to kind of maximize the amount of tokens they get. And this has been a problem in the community. Like, 
there was a scandal. I, I call it a scandal, but in crypto, it's really just another thing that happens. Um, but it was reported that like this one venture capitalist firm was investing in early stage projects and then kind of using their insider knowledge to farm the airdrop. And people found out on chain that there was one that had, um, you know, they had only made like a small six figure investment in one of these um, protocols, but they ended up, you know, farming with different wallets, like millions of dollars on the platform for the airdrop. And when they got the airdrop, it was immediately worth like several, several million dollars, I think. Um, so, you know, these are all problems that they're trying to tackle. So they're trying to come up with ways to screen the addresses to make sure it's mostly legitimate users and not people trying to game the system. Um, but that mm -hmm. kind of cat and mouse game is always going to exist. But uh, let me just confirm my, my understanding, because it actually sounds pretty scandalous. So basically, the core developers or the people who have knowledge about how the formula would work for airdrops, those same people ended up trying to game the system, opening up a lot of accounts. Well, not to them try to get themselves, those the, uh -huh. the, the VC okay. firm that had backed them. Uh, it was found uh, out they were oh. doing this with several of the projects that they had backed. Uh, the evil VCs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep, strength again. Yeah, my gosh. So... Um, okay, well, I mean, in traditional finance, you would end up like those guys would, you know, be prosecuted, legal consequences, most likely spend time behind bars. Um, you know, you can't do that. But what was the consequence? Did you follow the story? Oh, there was no consequence. Yeah. I think they no voluntarily returned some of the airdrop funds to the protocol because, like, there was a huge Twitter, uh, you know, kind of noise about the whole thing. But yeah, you're right. In this space, there is no regulation about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it makes me feel like um, this hunting for airdrops. I mean, it's great that if you use it and it's a nice Christmas surprise, uh, that's healthy for the whole system. Uh, but however, if it is all about just hunting and trying to game the formula, um, it does feel a little bit like, I don't know, it's like circular. It stays within the system. There's no real value added. When people right. So, you know, they yeah. that's why these projects are aware of that. And that's why they're trying to figure out ways to combat this. And mm -hmm. sometimes it works well, but sometimes it also backfires. Right. Sometimes uh, one one big example is Paraswap. Paraswap mm -hmm. was a very it's another DEX aggregator like we've been talking about in the past. But mm -hmm. they had a highly anticipated token drop. Um, but, you know, they had been around for a long time. Everyone knew that they were coming out with a token. They were teasing it on Twitter. So everyone was just making swaps on Paraswap nonstop. And then when they did drop the token, their criteria, you know, the the um, basically the requirements that you have, would have had to have fulfilled that they didn't disclose ahead of time were so obscure that it only ended up being like point like. I don't know, less than a percentage of all their users ended up getting the airdrop. And there was a huge backlash because of that too. So it kind of goes both ways. But you know, generally, mm -hmm. the projects are starting to figure it out. They're starting to find ways of identifying the most likelihood that this wallet is you know, a normal human being. Um, another <laughs> Christmas bonus I kind of got this year was Terra name service. Um, you know, mm -hmm. TNS... They were, they're basically the same thing as having a .eth name, except it's .ust, and it's tied to your Terra wallet, right? Um, you know, and I, I didn't really anticipate an airdrop. I just thought it was a neat idea, so I signed one up for myself a while back, um, gave myself a .ust for the Terra uh, wallet, and they also dropped the token around Christmas. And I don't remember the price, but I think, like, the airdrop is worth between, like, 2 and 4K, depending on... Um, the character length of your Terra name, right? And mm -hmm. that was just kind of a neat bonus. And when I was reading their criteria for it, it was pretty simple, right? It was just, you had to register this name before a certain date, uh, make a couple of transactions, at least like 10 or so transactions on Terra or something like that, and have mm -hmm. at least a couple UST in your wallet. So it just mm -hmm. made it seem more like this was a real wallet and not just someone that had made it for the purpose of trying to make a bunch of Terra names and hopefully get a lucrative airdrop. 
And it was a more, I think, a more fair distribution of um, their tokens. So it happens like like ENS kind of had a similar one where they looked at names that had been uh, created in the past. Like if you had made your dot Ethereum name two years ago, you would have had a higher uh, proportion of tokens airdropped to you. And, you know, so th they're coming up with interesting ways to solve this problem, I think. Sure. Let's uh, let's talk about a little bit more. What is this name service? What's this idea of having dot UST? So for you know, our listeners who are investors or they're trying to invest in the ecosystem, they've been doing DeFi. They're following us on uh, uh, on our work on Anchor. What is um, what is having a UST name add to that experience? Right. So I think it's a. It's a pretty simple idea that uh, the Ethereum name service came up with a few years ago, which was simply like any other domain name, right? Like any other .com, .net, .finance, .money kind of thing. It was just simply something .eth. That was the original ENS. And it would be tied to your wallet. And basically, any transaction you make, instead of typing that crazy hash, you can just type your domain. And then the money would get sent to your wallet all the same. And that's the kind of same idea with your .ust name in Terra. Um, so if I were to have you send me some money on Terra, you could, you know, obviously use the crazy wallet address, or you can just use my domain .ust, and um, it would send that money all the same. And it's kind of just a, a easier way, a slightly like another step towards a better and cleaner user experience for this whole thing. Oh, that's so that's actually kind of interesting. Um, so basically that becomes my, so that the Terra address, the one that's got like, I don't know, uh, 30, 50, you know, digits, uh, I can save some time by just typing, I guess, three letters going forward. If I purchase a, uh, Terra name service. Right. Well, not three letters. Let's say you made one that mm. was like, um, mm. you know, William Hong Kong dot UST is just a crazy example. <laughs> you know, um, okay. you could just use okay. that as your wallet address. You could tell anybody to send you money to that name instead of your wallet. Okay. Got it. Got it. But it's um, uh, the reason I say three letters is I thought the characters are like three, four and five. Like those were the uh, options. Oh, uh, sorry. I didn't really understand what you're asking. Okay. It's okay. We, we can cut out this part. <laughs> no, it's okay. But I want to, I want to, I want to make sure the users also understand, right? Like, what do you mean yeah, by yeah, three, yeah. four, and five? Because I thought, because I literally, I literally thought that when we, um, uh, when you sent me that uh, link, I clicked on it. It's like, there's some options. It's like, oh, this is how much you pay if you do like three characters. This is how much. Oh, you yeah, pay, yeah, like, yeah. So it, that's a simple kind of like almost yeah, game yeah. theory-ish thing, right? Like each if you're just linking about the total number of combinations in letters, if you have three characters, there's just less possible words that can exist um, with three characters than could exist with five or six, right? So it's like almost like a simple supply and demand thing because there's less three character words possible out of all the English characters, those three letter words cost more um, to register. So if you use a word that's extremely long, then it's not as scarce as a three-letter word. Does that make sense? No, sure, sure, sure. So you're saying, so the shortest is actually three words, three letters. Right, the shortest so is three words, and it's the most expensive, right? Because uh, there's just fewer three-letter no words available than there are seven-letter words, for uh, example. But there's but there's no limit to uh, how long. No, no, you can, uh, it's like on any domain. You can make it whatever you want. Uh, Oh, interesting. And it's interesting. it's uh, it's nice because you know with Ethereum too, if you have a unique name, now is a good time to try and score your name .eth. It's kind of now because a lot of people are in it, but you know, you remember Garrity, our earlier guest, he uh just updated me. He managed to got, get Garrity.eth because just not a lot of people are named Garrity. And I thought that was pretty cool, oh. you know, he it's not that early into the game. Ethereum names have been around for a long time, but he still managed to just get his name dot eth so you know if you want some, an easy way to register your wallet and kind of keep track of it check out the name services for all the different ecosystem that's awesome that's and um, also there's probably you know um like terra airdrop their tokens to the terra name service um 
there's a good chance if you find ones for other chains, they'll eventually kind of do the same thing. But this ultimately is, how do I think about it? It's trying to improve the user experience, but it's also, ultimately you also pay for the, right, for getting this name. So it's a little bit additional source of income. Um, and also it's just trying to create more hype for the project. Can I think of it as kind of a combination of, of all of this? And that's why they want to um, well, it's, come up with this. Well, it's the project itself is the name service, right? That's their project. Mm. Um, mm. And it remains to be seen how how much more usability will be around it. But, you know, there mm. the the name mm. exists as an NFT. Basically, when you register it, mm. your wallet ends up having an NFT with that um, domain name. And that's how your wallet kind of remembers or knows that that's the um, name associated with it, right? Um, and, you know, because that's it's so an cool. NFT, it can be programmed to do, th like, other protocols can be programmed to accept it to do things with it. Um, so there could be other usability that goes with having that domain. And also, hey, like, I like any, um, any other NFT slash domain, um, you know, if you own a valuable d domain, you can resell that NFT to people. You know what? Remember when one of our earlier episodes we were like, hey, uh, we should try to, you should try to create an NFT. We were encouraging our users to just create an NFT for the experience of doing so. Right. Well, guess what? I mean, this uh, name service is the equivalent of doing that, right? Right. It's probably the most it is. It's an easy it. way to do it. <laughs> and now to just have this thing that signifies you own this name within this mm. ecosystem. It's cool. Like I really envy the fact that my friend Garrity has such a unique name that he can get Garrity.eth because that is really cool. Like in an ecosystem like Ethereum where there's millions of people that he has a unique um, wallet address that's just his name now. You know, that's pretty cool. And then for uh, Terra, I guess um, maybe it's not as desired because it's just um, not as well known. However... Right. However, it could change as as we've yeah. seen the Terra ecosystem expanding, the adoption of UST rising. Um, like everything else, it's speculative. It could be that the thought UST um, name ends up becoming quite valuable. And Solana and you know Polkadot and Avalanche, do they all have the same thing. Phantom, do they all have? So the this same is thing? if you're a listener trying to get some good alpha. This is something to watch for because they don't all have the same thing yet. There is mm. a Solana name, but they have a token already. But as far as I'm aware, there is no Avalanche name service. There is no Phantom name service. There is no Polkadot name service. Um, so, you know, listeners, if you find some, let me know because I will definitely <laughs> sign up for them. And if they follow the path of Ethereum and Terra, you know, it could be a cool bonus to get your name and also have like a free free little airdrop in the future. Dude, Jeff, as we're talking about this, I'm just like, man, it started off as just like, how do we invest our money to try to earn some additional yield? You know, instead of putting it at your local bank, how can we get some extra interest rate? But now it's like this experience, it's much more than that, right? It's I keep like, going back to the whole game feeling because to me, that's yeah. really what it feels like. It feels like you're in a game, you're finding weird quests to do, yeah. not in the traditional sense, but, this is kind of a weird thing. Like you find a thing that you can like, let's hunt for different name services. And then yeah. if you do that, you can get a reward in the, in the form of free money. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm starting to feel like it's almost rather than sitting back and just buying coins or tokens that I think will go up in value. I need to start participating more. Like, the, right. Um, That's why we've been telling our listeners they yeah. gotta just participate because buying your coins and sitting back is just so scratching the surface of it, right? That's just so much well, it's almost tip like, of the well, iceberg. It's like, well, it's almost like maybe not even economical to do so because uh, one is some of these airdrops only come if you uh, participate in the exchange. So like owning DYDX, as you mentioned, uh, doesn't mean anything. You actually have to have done trades on their platform. Right. right. And same thing for uh, Terra. I mean, you wouldn't have gotten that uh, airdrop, even if you had signed up for the name service, you wouldn't have gotten that airdrop if you hadn't made at least 10 or 15 transactions um, right, right. in your network. So again, it's trying to reward people who actually use it, as opposed to people who are kind of just passive investors. They're like, oh, I got a lot of cash to throw around. Let me just 
right? I mean, it, it really rewards people who take the time to understand. For system. sure. That's that's definitely yeah. the value proposition at this stage of this technology where it's mm. the barrier to entry is low. You know, anyone can find the information out there. That's what we're trying to do with this show. It's give you the information out there to start learning this stuff yeah. because it really rewards participation. It really incentivizes you to be an active participant in the ecosystem rather than just a passive investor. Oh, you definitely need to, to do so. I mean, I think I mentioned in an earlier conversation with you, Jeff, that some of my tokens now I'm looking at and I'm like, I need to find a way to either stake it um, or to like uh, lend it out or to just like use it as part of um, kind of the, the ecosystem that's built around this coin in order to get the most value out of it. Uh, right, because it does, it does yeah, end up yeah. being a ton of opportunity cost lost when you don't do that. Um, like I have, for example, um, one of my tokens I invested in early GRT, um, I had just forgotten about its staking going live. So I missed out on a few, I think like maybe two months of staking in the very beginning when the staking rewards were the highest, you know? So that's like a huge opportunity cost that I just missed out on, um, because I wasn't engaged and I wasn't actively participating in it. And I was kind of looking at it more as like a passive investment to just buy and, and hold like a traditional asset. Well, I would be one of those. I actually own GRT. Thanks for mentioning that. Um, and I've been sitting on it. So there's a place to stake it, Jeff. Uh, yes. Yes. GRT, you have multiple options, right? You can, you can earn yield on it in the traditional um, centralized exchanges. I think Gemini gives you yield on it. Um, and I think Binance does too, or you can actually participate in the GRT. Um, system their whole network you know find delegators and delegate your tokens to did you recall uh, what kind of yield it's low it's around eight percent i believe uh, grt yeah. is kind of you know it's like middleware it's not it's designed with sustainability and kind of a long-term um economic model so it's not as um crazy as some of these other protocols we see but you know, it's still a healthy yield on a coin that if you are bullish on for the long term, you might as well have it sitting there earning more yield for you. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's what I found. I mean, if I have a core portfolio, um, I really shouldn't that I don't intend on touching, then indeed, I should look for ways to farm it out, stake it out um, to get this uh, weather. I mean, 8%, I think it's, it's reasonable. Right. I mean, right. Right. I think so too. You know, especially yeah. it doesn't count for price appreciation or anything because this is eight percent in its token, right? And if you're long term yeah. bullish on it, that just becomes a multiplier on the price action. Uh, I, I think I keep thinking about this ecosystem and the total value on it right now is around two and a half trillion. I mean, it went to three trillion, but we've had some pullback. Um, that's like you know as much as like. Um, you know, a an Apple or Microsoft is worth, you know, on its own. So, you know, if you look at it in comparison, how much activity is taking place, right? All the stuff that we're talking about, right? All this whole show is devoted to all the activity that's taking place, and it's really only worth, um, you know, at least right now, valued at like, you know, the the the, the market cap of one of these tech companies. So that's why I keep thinking about upside. You know, again, of course, the big question is what, you know, when it will appreciate in value, how it will do so. Uh, maybe it goes down before it appreciates. But again, I just think about the activity and how much time we're spending talking about this space. Um, it's bound to, I just think the, the risk reward on this is really attractive at this stage in the game. Oh, I'm totally with you there. You know, I think there's very few, um, there's very few markets left, I think where the risk is as asymmetric as it is in crypto. I think, um, you know, if we just uh, kind of take a step back and, you know, think about which part we want to focus on, um, I, I really think that having a game plan um, and, and still, I still feel like I'm in exploring stages. I mean, you know, I, I'm not sure where I should devote all my energy. Should I spend some more time on figuring out these airdrops? Just spend some more time on these games, like you know, um, oh, there's all these new kind of gaming um, metaverses, NFTs are all tied together. Uh, there's all these launch pads for new games, but it's just so hard. It's a little overwhelming because I have a hard time evaluating which right. you know what games are going to do well. Like I'm not a gamer, like but I, I agree, time, I and I, I think yeah. 
I think that's part of the that's one of the strengths of crypto too is that because you're so overwhelmed with there's so many opportunities everywhere and it's so new you don't need um there's no real set path right there's no real um trailblazed path to success that any everyone should follow because every path everyone's path is going to be different everybody's um focus in this market is going to be different by the very nature of the fact that there's just so much to study you just can't focus on it all you have to kind of um divide your time that way and you just have to find the spaces in this market that work towards your strengths you know it could be that you know you can kind of pay you can kind of dip your hands a little bit into everything and maybe that's your strength or you are fully devoted to one ecosystem and you you are just really really um in that ecosystem and know all the nuances of that one ecosystem maybe that's your strength right the important thing is you make that game plan for yourself when you um are just more knowledgeable overall and you can kind of um like you said yeah. while you're in this exploring stage you kind of find out which niches best suit your interests and strengths. Mm -hmm. Fascinating stuff. Um, uh, you know, just talking about games and gaming, um, all these uh, kind of launch pads that, you know, where there's games that are like how you're more of a gamer. So what is the quality? Where do we stand in terms of the experience of games that are created on the blockchain? versus just like games that are more centralized. So um, this is this is a yeah. huge thing I think because like in my opinion right now the games on the blockchain just look like garbage. They look terrible. Um okay. they are not most for the most for the most part they are not fun to play. Um a lot of them are essentially just reskinned. You know, they're just basically doing clicking buttons, right? It's just clicking a button that says print money but with a pretty skin pasted on top of it where you might be doing other things. But a lot of these games essentially boil down to click this button to get some tokens, you know? Mm. Um, mm. And so they're not very compelling to play. But, and, but, but, but let me understand, Jeff, is that the limitation of the blockchain or is that just limitation of the developer's creativity? I think, it's the, I think it's the latter. I think it's the, the earliness of the space, the fact that already like, Without crypto, without crypto or blockchain at all, making a compelling game is hard. You know, just in the traditional game space, there's a reason why studios are huge and have huge budgets and huge massive teams. You know, and work on games for years and years because it's very hard to make a compelling and fun game. And so, a lot of these companies are kind of crypto first companies, where that's their expertise. They want to make crypto first and then slap kind of a basic game on top of it. Now this is slowly starting to change, but it still remains to be seen. And like we, a lot of people in the crypto space dream of a day when there's real, um, you know, real like PlayStation quality games that you can play that are using NFTs and crypto in the back end. Um, but that day isn't here yet, I don't think. Mm. But I don't know about you, but I feel like if it's just more of uh, we people need to pay more attention to the space, or we need to attract the best gaming developers into kind of becoming blockchain gaming developers. I mean, that time will will come. Right? I agree. I, mean, as... I think that time will definitely come. I think every major game studio is looking um, at crypto now. They're just trying to figure out how to incorporate it. But we talked about this before too. Like, there's no guarantee that these gaming companies are going to incorporate crypto in a way that actually is representative of the ethos of blockchain. And so there might take a long time for the native crypto native gaming to kind of come um, from the kind of blockchain side of it, where people in that mm. space are also attracting the talented mm. developers to come over to that side and work um, from a more crypto native perspective to make sure that ethos of openness, mm. open source, um, true ownership of assets and stuff is maintained. So based on your understanding of the technology, uh, blockchain is not a limitation to creating like an awesome game. It's no, not like no. It's definitely the not. The nature of it makes it such that uh, it's hard to create like a very immersive, you know, uh, you know uh, exciting game. 
there's, well, there's this no, is why we always yeah. say lately, like we talk about this multi-chain world because can you make a compelling game on Ethereum? No, you probably can't because it'll cost you hundreds of dollars to just like do the first five minutes of this game. Um, <laughs> but you know, you have things like Immutable X, which is a Starkware layer two um, on Ethereum, designed specifically for video games, designed like specifically to have a ton of transactions just so that games can be built on it and um you know use blockchain technology and yeah it'll trade it'll have trade-offs like it could be more centralized or um you know some of the other trade-offs with security that layer ones have to consider when they're just pumping out huge amounts of transactions but um you know because they're a layer two on ethereum they're still using ethereum's security and you know, they may decide those trade-offs are worth it for what they're trying to do, which is gaming, right? Which doesn't need the same level of uh, decentralization that, you know, mm. money might need. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this layer two. Let's um, kind of um, a slight, small tangent, but like Polygon, for example, uh, is a layer two or maybe a layer one and a half, depending on kind of how, how you interpret it. But Basically, uh, whether it's Polygon or whether it's IMX, right, Mutable, um, Mutable X, that you just mentioned, um, it's ultimately a way to make Ethereum faster and cheaper, but it sacrifices, I guess, one of those, you know, elements in the trilemma, kind of um, uh, uh, like the, those three properties that we talked about earlier. Is that kind of the way to under like? The roll up or the layer that's two that's kind did. of how I understand it. I'm I'm like by yeah. no means a technical person, so I could um I could be off mm -hmm. base, but that's how I understand it. It's a solution um mm -hmm. to scale Ethereum, but it some of the I think it doesn't really have to sacrifice in the trilemma as much as a layer alternative layer one would, because layer twos are built on top of ETH, and a good layer two will use Ethereum as as its security, you know, have secure uh, mm -hmm. Ethereum help secure it, which is one of the criticisms for Polygon because it is, uh, you know, it's not really being secured by the ETH network the same way that um, ZK Sync or Arbitrum are. Uh, and then uh, IMX, that is using the full security features of Ethereum. Yes, from what I understand, IMX is a Starkware um, okay. based layer two. Okay. And Starkware is also okay. what powers DYDX. Um, uh, interesting. So it's almost like there is this balance between do I create a layer one that tries to optimize the trilemma or do I create a layer one plus the layer twos and the combination of these two, you know, gives that better balance or optimization of the, you know, the property. Right, and it's still trilemma. an open yeah. question. You know, it remains to be seen because... No one will tell you with a straight face that Ethereum's scalability problems have been solved by these layer twos. They still need people to build on the layer twos. It's not like Ethereum um, projects automatically get migrated to the layer twos. Functionally, they feel like using another layer one. Um, so it remains mm. to be seen if this is a truly viable solution. But you know, by all accounts, this really is the direction that... Um, at least Ethereum is going to go for its scaling problems. And once mm. some of these layer twos get more fleshed out, they might show real promise like ZK sync, um, especially, and also as listeners, like we talked about airdrop ZK sync is definitely one to pay attention to because huh. not only is it the next, um, kind of the next major layer two coming out with ZK rollups. It is, um, that's extremely cheap fees. It's extremely scalable. And extremely secure, so it kind of solves like all the trilemma problems. Um, and it doesn't have a token, and it's widely speculated to have an airdrop if you use um, their test net right now. What's the uh, name of the token? Or can we buy this? On an, no, uh, you can't. So you would want to go to zksync. Um, dot io, and. Okay. Right now, it's like what you said. You, this is basically almost like testing out this thing. You can go to zksync.io. You know, you can deposit some Ethereum from layer one ETH to the layer to zk layer two. Um, you can use their test net basically to get some fake um, 
some fake assets and use their basically like a Uniswap fork exchange and do some fake trading wait, on the test net. Yeah. So ZK Sync, by the way, ZK Sync, it's ZK, ZK for our yep. New Zealand Canadian listeners, um, and Sync, S Y N C. Yep. So yep. Okay. And then, uh, and then I, is there a connect wallet feature button on there where um, I would then connect? Oh, how do I deposit funds or how does it, you know, interact with um, the money in my wallet? Right. So because it's not um, Ethereum, right? So when you go on the site, there's a thing that says open wallet. So you click on your ZK wallet and okay. it'll let you connect to MetaMask when you um, when you click the Ethereum wallet button. Okay. And once you connect to it, this is it'll let you switch between the ZK layer and the Ethereum layer. Um, mm. So if you don't have any money in your the layer two, it'll say there's no balance yet. But if you do, or you can click the add funds to add some, like from layer one to layer two, um, you can bring some ether from the main net of Ethereum onto the ZK net. Um, and if, excuse, if you're step? still if you're still with me. You wait a while, and then your Ethereum will show up in your ZK wallet, and then you can do mm. some transactions um, on ZK. And the hope is that when they do release their token, they will airdrop it to people that have been using, um, mm. you know, using this kind of wallets in beta. Can I only um, import Ethereum from yes, layer one to because it's okay. a very early thing right now you can only import um ethereum and does that involve the high gas fees on the ethereum side yes so you will pay a one-time high <laughs> okay. gas fee for this bridge over but once okay. it's in zk you can do things like um there's an exchange called zigzag so if you go on zigzag.exchange it's basically a um like a decentralized exchange built on ZK that lets you sell Ethereum right now. That's all you can do right now is okay. sell Ethereum for US, USDC or buy Ethereum. But, you okay. know, if you do a couple quick swaps with your um, ZK ETH, um, it might be enough to trigger for the airdrop in the future. You know, you but, don't know for okay. sure, but it might be. Sure. So let's take two steps back. For users who want to experience this, what... What is the kind of end goal other than the airdrop, which is, um, you know, it's exciting. It's nice to get a free gift. But what is the purpose behind um, this layer two? Right. And so right now, obviously, yeah. it's pretty limited um, because mm -hmm. only ZigZag is kind of the only thing on it. And it only lets you sell and buy ETH. But mm -hmm. it's extremely cheap. Like buying ETH is the, the gas fees are $1 per trade, a flat $1 fee, you know? Okay. So okay. if you are just a big day trader for Ethereum, this is actually a great way to um, make rapid trades quickly, right? Quickly and cheaply where you can make huge trades and still only pay $1 per trade. Um, okay. So it's okay. a limited use case, but you know, you can do it and you may get rewarded for it for just using oh, this product. So, so maybe this is a cheaper alternative to Uniswap. Yes, it's definitely a cheaper alternative. And the hope is that, like, ZigZag, right? It's, right now, you can only sell ETH for a bunch of different stablecoins. Oh, I guess you can also sell wrapped Bitcoin. But anyway, you can only do a few transactions right now on um, ZigZag. But in the future, it might be a place where it has a ton of different tokens, the same way that Uniswap has a ton of different tokens. But the tokens will all just have a flat $1 trade fee instead of paying the crazy amount on um, Uniswap. Mm. So ultimately, this is. Does Polygon have an equivalent of a DEX on their? Uh, yes, their they do. Polygon also has one. Um, I believe it's okay. called QuickSwap. QuickSwap. So I guess in the future, this zk sync swap versus Polygon swap will have some sort of a competition because they're both cheap. Right. They right? will be competitors. And Polygon might, and Polygon might even be cheaper. Right, right. They will be they will be competitors for sure. Um, okay. But right okay, now, okay. it's in my opinion, at least, because it, the nobody can predict mm -hmm. the future and who will you know win this mm -hmm. ultimate competition. Mm -hmm. It's good to try out everything, especially when there is a possibility of just getting free thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. Okay.
So my thinking on this is evolving and, and listeners bear with us as we're uh, going on this journey together. But it's just that it seems um, whether we talk about the layer ones, right, the Ethereum's, the Solana's, um, you know, the Terra's, uh, or whether we're talking about layer twos, ultimately, they all kind of are trying to do it all centers around, I guess, a DEX, right? I mean, that's a, that's important, you know, core part of it. Um, and then there's some kind of some gaming that could be potentially be part of that experience as well. Uh, but the differentiation between the different ecosystems, um, I'm not seeing, or how can I understand what is the major differentiation? Well, I think you're not, from? you're not yeah. super wrong in what you're experiencing, yeah. but I think yeah. you have to remember that right now we're looking at basically a space that has essentially two, maybe three use cases. AKA mm -hmm. there's DeFi, um, mm -hmm. art as NFTs okay. and games, right? These are literally the yeah. only three real <laughs> use cases that have emerged. So of course you're going to see a lot of similarities in the different ecosystems. Yeah. You're going to see every ecosystem is going to have a DEX because that's just the first thing um, that use case needs, right? The first thing DeFi needs is a DEX. So every ecosystem is going to have one. Um, and then every ecosystem is going to have an NFT because that's a whole use case in and of itself, right? Um, mm. So you're going to see these similarities, but you're, you'll also see differences. For example, Phantom, because the transactions are cheap, you have auto compounders that don't exist on Ethereum because it's Ethereum, mm. it's just not feasible to have a protocol that's collecting rewards every, you know, every minute and then redepositing mm. it um, because that would just be too expensive. But on a platform mm. like Phantom, where that reharvesting transaction costs like a cent, maybe maybe a few cents, then it's feasible to have a program that does that. And sure. that becomes a product that can only kind of exist in that ecosystem. Sure, sure. Um, that's kind of cool, actually. Like, listen, I mean, we are so early stage and I am very uh, understanding that, um, in fact, we will probably be concentrated around a few services that uh, is trending right now. But eventually, because I guess the technology that all of these um, and the layer ones are built on, there are some subtle differences, right? And so that's right. where, it, depending on the just the creativity of the community, can evolve into different things, right? Right, um, I agree. And you know, you see, yeah. um, you know, you see, like with Luna, we always talk about Luna, but it's I'm impressed by how focused their entire ecosystem is on the promotion of UST. You know, not only sure. is Luna itself designed around UST, but it seems all the projects that emerge on Luna are centered around um, encouraging UST adoption, you know, protecting users' UST, insurance for UST, um, letting you participate in liquidations that result from borrowing mm. UST. So it's all mm. centered around this one goal of promoting um, UST and having mm. UST adoption be. Um, increased. And that's one of the ways that I found Luna has kind of differentiated itself, right? You don't see that in other ecosystems when they're, where all the projects are so focused on kind of one, one goal. Totally agree with you. I think Luna is quite, uh, I think of it as it's trying to be the bank or it's trying to specialize, right? Yeah, in it's DeFi. almost like a chain that's entirely specialized yeah. around DeFi, right? Yeah, yeah, which is which I think is awesome because the user experience is actually quite great, uh, which, you know, and, and that is why we we're seeing um, the total value locked in the system uh, is at record highs now, um, and that I think UST is moving up the ranks in in terms of stable coins. In yeah, fact, UST might be market cap yeah. I think is like ten billion dollars now, and it's uh, I think it's the highest ranked uh, like algorithmically determined stable coin. The other stable coins, right? I mean, we've talked about USDT, USDC. Uh, BUSD. Um, those are a little bit different. Uh, those are backed by reserves. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is very interesting. Uh, how, what about some other layer ones that you think stand out? Like you mentioned Phantom. Uh, you know, is there some, do, do you think that is a kind of, does it take, is there a different philosophy around some of these other? Yeah. So one of the reasons I like Phantom a lot is they have a really strong community aspect to it. I think I mentioned in the past that they don't, they like phantom projects don't have that same level of polish that you see on some of these super VC heavy backed chains. Um, mm. You know, you see mm. Solana. Maybe that's every, intentional. Maybe that's intentional. I don't know they if it's intentional or not. I think it's almost yeah. less intentional, more of just 
so many of the projects built on Phantom are just built by the community. And oh, okay. um, some of these people don't have the time or resources to devote to like a super polished UI or anything, but they make good products that work well. And um, that's kind of an interesting thing I see kind of in Phantom. It's not, it's obviously not universal, but it's definitely mm -hmm. something that I notice. Um, and I really appreciate about it because I like the community aspect of these projects. Sure, I like sure. that well, it's less, it's, um, you know, VC emphasized and everything. It's like watching a Broadway musical or a high school production, you know? I mean, both has its kind of charming elements, right? Uh, it depends on, you know, sometimes I think the, uh, you know, if you watch kind of more amateur productions, there could be, yeah, there could be a certain spirit or spark in it as opposed to just watching, you know, the professionals who are just putting on a show day in and day kind out. I, I, wanna, yeah. I wanna push back a little against that just because I feel okay. that's a little unfair to some of these projects in Phantom. Okay, um, okay. Because it's like, it's not that their code is any worse, right? Their code is still good. Okay. It's just, you know, because maybe for whatever reason, maybe they're just more focused on the code. They're more focused on having the product work and then the, like shiny UI part is just maybe not as important because mm. as a community kind of project, maybe they just don't have um, the the time and energy to spend too much onto the front end as much as they can spend on the back end. But, but, but let me talk about that then. So you're saying the code is just as good. So it's also audited or it's also Yeah, shared. yeah. They're all, they're, a lot of the times they're also audited. Um, you know, they also have... Um, like, because my understanding they have is, good devs behind it. They have good community and everything. Um, because when but it's sometimes community, they just lack the polish that some of these bigger VC back chains have. Okay. So what does it mean when it's more community uh, kind of oriented? Because anybody, I guess what you're saying is anybody, um, you and I, you know, if we learn a little bit of coding, we could contribute. But then in order for our code to get accepted, it needs to go through a process, I still assume, right? Yes. And okay. So to me, a co more community-based um, ecosystem is just one that has just less VC money in it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. One that you know isn't so inundated with, um, you know, millionaires becoming even bigger millionaires. That it just has kind of a kind of a grassroots feel to it. Um, mm -hmm. One thing I liked mm -hmm. about Phantom is it has a really interesting backstory where. It um, it originally was this like South Korean blockchain project built around the idea of smart cities that got abandoned. Like the whole team originally left, and then the community kind of kept it going and turned it into a different thing altogether. Um, and then they leaned hard into the whole Phantom of the Opera thing and turned Phantom into this whole ecosystem filled with ghost themes and. Um, you know, Halloween themed protocols. And it, it's really cool to see that that's just how it kind of evolved from its original project after being kind of abandoned by the original, the original team. I see. I see. I see. But whether it's Phantom or whether it's uh, Avalanche or whether it's Terra, um, it is still very much open to anyone to develop on it, right? Anybody can, you know, learn the code, right? And then decide. I want to implement this protocol. People's uh, sort audit of. the code. Or so I want to okay. I want to say yes with a mm -hmm. asterisk because yes, that's mm -hmm. how it works in crypto, and that's how uh, most projects are. Like mostly they're open source, but there's notice notable exceptions, right? Like Solana, as much as Solana is a great ecosystem, it is heavily VC backed, and many of the projects are closed source. So, you know, Solana is missing some of the collaborative uh, nature that some of these more community grassroots feeling blockchains have. Okay. Okay. So maybe there isn't as much transparency. You're right. Saying. And Polkadot also is kind of the same way. Less transparency. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But again, it all depends on uh, striking a right balance between, uh, you know, the improving the the whole um, quality of the technology, but also attracting enough developers um, into their ecosystem to develop uh, into it um, to kind of just raise the level. Um, it's it's very interesting actually because 
um, you think of these ecosystems competing, um, but at the same time, I guess developers can move from one to another, right? I mean, it maybe right. it's harder to move from certain ecosystems to another, but it's like in the same way that they're trying to compete for users like us, uh, they're trying to also compete for developers, I guess the attention of the, the developers. Um, and, and that is part of what you know, I guess very much is what makes this vibrant and you constantly have to evolve and you, you know, if you have a bad um, uh, kind of a uh, bad reputation, then it kind of uh, negatively, yeah, hurts you down the road. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, I mean, do you feel like, um, you know, among all the kind of the, the different ecosystems that we're talking about, like, what do you think will be, how do we go beyond the the use cases that we've been talking about? Like, you know, because a lot of times the criticisms, and, and we've tried to address this in our previous calls, um, but what more can we, for someone who, you know, feels like this ecosystem is still very much, you know, insular, right? Um, what do we, what are the things that uh, beyond DeFi, NFTs, gaming, um, which seems like all the ecosystems kind of share some of this, um, how do we go, you know, beyond that where there's a bit more, yeah, just a, a bit more connection? Right. So I think we we mentioned before just like how how the potential of this technology has to really change society, right? Really better society in many ways, um really move make things a lot more efficient in society in many ways. Um so those use cases I feel some of them have to come just when it, with um you know government buy-in with things like having health records that can be tokenized, you need kind of a regulatory system and you need the government infrastructure to make that really happen. You know, you, it's really hard to do it on an ad hoc level where you're trying to convince every local hospital that they should be tokenizing their records on a private blockchain or something. Um, so those things kind of, some of this kind of has to come with, um, with government buy-in too which I know is ironic for a space that's uh, heavily where regulation kind of heavily, uh, you know, lingers over people and there's a lot of fear of government involvement in it and skepticism of what government can kind of do in the space. But ultimately these things that we talk about that will better society and improve how society functions needs that level of government cooperation to really function. And once we start mm -hmm. seeing that, because I really believe that the government's, will start adopting this thing because it is just better, right? It is like um, a stable coin for US dollar is just a better version of the dollar. And as governments kind of realize the technology enables just a better society, um, I'm optimistic that they will respond accordingly and we will find these use cases start to emerge. I, I like the way how you put it, Jeff, actually. I think you, answer, you handled that question actually really well because, you know, um, we talk about how we're trying to, or the people who feel disenfranchised, you know, whether it's income inequality, the Fed printing money, um, being kind of, uh, you know, uh, being left out because they're not part of the gatekeeping community. Um, so that, because of that, this community has decided that we, well, this disenfranchised community has decided to, hey, we're going to create our own game. We're going to set our own rules of the game. Um, and, you know, we're kind of playing, and that's kind of what's going on right now. I think, you know, people in this space are playing by the rules that they're setting for themselves. But as this community grows, as the technology truly captivates, you know, real users, um, it is having an influence. It is drawing people like myself, for example, from traditional finance into it. It's drawing people from all different walks of life, you know, architects, accountants, right, NBA players, whoever. And so I think when we get to that point, and maybe we're just a few stages away from it, uh, when we get to that point where people truly have decided that, hey, you know what, we want to incorporate, hey, you know, what you've created in that world uh, with your own set of rules is really actually beneficial. Let's borrow some of those concepts and let's use it in the real world. Once do you get, I guess, that shift um, in mentality, that's when you can get that further adoption. And, and that makes sense because right now there's still this uh, resistance. So we're still kind of playing in our own little sandbox is that there's some um yeah i totally agree stuff? i totally yeah. agree yeah um yeah. and there's there's definitely still barriers in this whole space to 
you know, every every step of adoption, there's some form of kind of hurdle and barrier. And right now, you know, we need government buy-in. We need regulatory bodies to make laws and everything that makes sense with crypto um, to really advance crypto to the next stage. You know, a lot of these infrastructure things that people want to do with blockchain, while the technology exists, while it's possible to do now, without the, you know, the regulatory framework, without the oversight from the government, it's just not really realistic or feasible right now. You know, we talk about things like supply chain management. Um, if you can have a unified system on chain, that would simplify supply chain issues by a lot, especially with the supply chain issues we've been seeing now, like we could really use something like this. But until we have the wider societal buy-in, like these kind of um, use cases aren't gonna aren't gonna be realistic yet. Yeah, you make me feel really good about our efforts with this show, Jeff. Like I feel like we're not just like yeah. Hopefully, talking. we're helping push the needle a little bit you know, in our own little no, way. I mean, yeah, I think it's just about because as we talk, right? I mean, we have our listeners who again we're very grateful for um, who tune into us. But I also think that it gets us thinking and it helps give us uh, a lot of material, uh, you know, to talk about when friends or relatives uh, or just people around us ask questions. And I think we've kind of nobody's asked us to do this, but, you know, we've kind of become or we're trying to be uh, informed evangelists almost uh, for this technology, because, as you said, ultimately, um, in order for this to really take off, uh, to really to help demystify some of these kind of obscure concepts to really, I think, uh, make people feel like this is, um, you know, I still see a lot of people, honestly, Jeff, like, it's a little disappointing for me uh, when I see people who are very smart, very intelligent, um, just a bit closed-minded to this. You know, it's, um, they, they write it off. Um, you know, I definitely have people around me who, even at this stage, they write it off. And I think it's, they haven't taken the time to understand. Um, and I think, you know, and because of that, again, we're going to always see we're going to be limited in our, you know, use case, uh, use cases, real world applications, because there is that inherent kind of bias against it. Um, but as you said, hopefully we're moving the needle and hopefully when the, you know, kind of the lights uh, click, um, there will be and we will see that kind of. Um, yeah, we, we, we will see that kind of growth. Yeah. And I think and, the cool thing, too, is that, like, nobody can deny that this is just better technology this is just a step in the internet that's just better than the ones we've had before and people can write it off because they're used to the technology that they have right no one nobody really likes change um in the same way that people wrote off the internet because they already had fax machines and landlines um people want to write off web 3 because we already have web 2 but that's not how the progress is going to work right it's going to kind of go on regardless just because the technology is better and eventually that um, adoption rate is just going to reach a critical tipping point where people that are skeptical now will basically have no choice but to um, kind of mm. join in in the future. The same way that, you, you know, I know a lot of people when Facebook came out were like, I'm never going to make a Facebook. But, you know, in the end of the day, they ended up making a Facebook after a couple of years because that's just how the Internet landscape became. Um, mm. And I think the mm. same thing will happen. In Web three, even if people are resistant now, the fact is that this change is coming, and eventually, I think people that um don't adapt now will have no choice but to adapt in the future. Mm -hmm. Awesome, Jeff. Another uh, another great uh, just conversation. Um, I've learned a lot, uh, and Jeff, I, I know that this is a learning process for both of us. So, uh, just again, thanks for yeah. I mean, just thanks for always being. So thoughtful about your answers and I, and I think I can just tell that um, as you know as the market kind of matures um, there's just there's just so much yeah I mean I'm, I just as we're talking now I'm thinking like there's more questions I could ask you but maybe I'll uh, give you a little break so <laughs> yeah, we'll save some for yeah. the next show yeah we'll save some for the next show but uh, thanks for taking the time out of holidays uh, listeners and also to Jeff yourself um, yeah. for, uh, for putting, putting this together <clears throat> yeah thanks Will um, yeah listeners if you guys enjoy the show please give us a review tell your friends and you know and if you have any questions let us know you can find me on Twitter um, I'll have my Twitter linked in the description below and yeah send us any questions okay. your way we'll be happy to answer on the show okay. take care guys take care have a great holiday
man. <laughs>